You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. All right, let's jump into this. I'm excited with today's guest, Christine Wendell. She's co-founder and CEO of a company called Pronto Housing. Pronto makes affordable housing leasing and compliance efficient, easy. So compliance monitoring, this is a whole new topic for me and we've not really gotten into affordable housing much on the show and thankfully Christine breaks it down. What is and what is not affordable housing? What are some of the challenges around just the compliance monitoring issue? Imagine this, just one process and over 80 pages. That's real paper, sitting down, flipping through, reading and signing, even things that are totally irrelevant to who you are and your situation, and you still have to read and sign. There's a lot of inefficiency. Where do those papers go? Who needs to get what? And that's what Pronto is taking on the challenge of solving for. Some of the stats here that Christine had provided were just staggering. 11 million households in the United States are rent burdened. 7 million. There's a shortage of 7 million affordable homes in the United States, and not a single state has an adequate supply of affordable rental housing. While Pronto Housing necessarily isn't building the new structures, and that is where the majority of investment into new technology and new startups that are touching into affordable housing. Pronto is coming in from the efficiencies angle to help the process move further along, faster, and be more effective. And I'm really excited to, to touch on this topic. I think it's just an important piece, as you know, I say in the intro of the show. This isn't just a show about how you know, make money in real estate. That's not really what we talk about. This is how we live. And this is an important component to our communities. So I'm glad to have Christine on the show to talk through this. So let's jump in, hear what she has to say. All right, but just one more thing here before we jump into today's episode, a word from our sponsor. Cure is banding together and building together to make renting a home a simple and satisfying experience for all. Over 30 leading property management companies have joined Pure so far. Combined, they have over 1,000 years of experience. They deliver a high-tech, high-touch, and hyper-local property management experience for residents and investors nationwide. Learn more about joining Pure at purepm.co. Hey, Christine, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so good to uh, well to see you again. Uh, I know we got a chance to meet briefly at Blueprint uh, as it seemed like everybody, everybody was there. I don't wanna- It was pretty fun. Did you make it to Nelly? No, I skipped town. <laughs> yeah, this is the second year in a row that I've changed my flight at the last minute to to miss that last, that last hurrah. What was the first uh, artist that you changed yeah. your flight for? Uh, 
who was the artist at Blueprint last year? Like, Ludacris? Oh, no. I wasn't there last year. So Millie Vanilli? <laughs> I forget. Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> it was we're another really going like there. kind of nineties throwback. There 2000s, it is. Yeah. Probably. It would have been fun, but it's just too long. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I'm excited for our conversation here. I think we're going to touch on a few things that I just don't think that I don't think we've talked about on the show yet. And so, without spoiling the the you know giving it away here, uh, as usual, we'll kick it off with. Please introduce yourself. Let everyone know who you are and what you do. I am Christine Wendell. I am the co-founder and CEO of Pronto Housing. We are a software startup bringing innovation to the affordable housing space. All right. So usually I like to tackle first and ask, what is the big problem you're trying to solve? But before we get into that, I think it's important that we define affordable housing since that's so critical to what you guys are building. So can we start there? What is what is not affordable housing? Yes. So. Housing is considered to be affordable if you have 30% of your income or less going towards housing. So when you think about making affordable housing, there are many ways to do that, but overall you're reducing rents, right? You're making the rents affordable to people living in those units. However, there are very, very many ways to subsidize that. So you can have workforce housing that is making it affordable for teachers. You can have public housing that's making it affordable for people who are not able to generate income for themselves. And then there's a whole swath of housing in between. So, um, and there's different ways to subsidize that too. You can sub subsidize the rental income. You can reduce operating expenses through a real estate tax abatement. You can uh, reduce the equity requirement through low income housing tax credits that get sold to subsidize equity. Um, and then there's also a lot at the zoning that impacts affordable housing. So some places require that a certain portion of units are affordable. Some places give you a density bonus in order to, um, to have affordable units. But overall, when you think about affordable housing, you're thinking about making communities livable for people that work in those communities and are part of our communities. Got it. So, and then, and, and quite frankly, you know, I have to be honest, you know, I'm a little ignorant to all the different breakdowns here. So does affordable housing also then, does it have to mean people getting housing vouchers and, and paid for rent? Or is it just that you you started with, you know, 30% or less of your income? So it doesn't have to be just vouchers. A lot of people differentiate between what they call capital A affordable housing, which is uh, usually federally, sometimes locally, but formally subsidized through a regulatory agreement and lowercase affordable housing, which might be the owner of that property is self-imposing it in order to get preferential um, debt financing, for example, um, or it might be um, organically affordable housing, somebody buying a multifamily property and instead of investing a bunch of money and jacking up the rent, they're going to buy a property, maintain it, hopefully, and um, just keep the rents at an affordable level. So it really runs the gamut. Gotcha. And then so for pronto housing, is it, are you guys working on either side of that or both sides? 
We work on both sides. So our product is to automate affordable housing, leasing and compliance. So anytime that you are qualifying someone for an affordable housing unit, which can be both those capital A affordable housing units and also workforce housing or some type of qualification process tied to how that property is financed. Anytime you have that qualification process, that's where Pronto comes in to automate that and make that much easier. All right. So now let's let's dive into the problem a little bit. Uh, compliance monitoring. What what is that? Yeah, <laughs> it's sexy, right? You're like compliance. I love it. <laughs> compliance. You know, I mean, I'm a little bit of a rule breaker my entire life. So when I hear compliance monitoring, I start getting nervous about which of the rules did I not pay attention to? Which did I just outright break? You know. <laughs> so yeah, let, let's jump into that. This is going to get interesting. Yeah. I'm sure of it. So when we think about compliance, what we're thinking about is verifying that someone who's in that household should be in that unit, right? That, that they're meeting the regulatory requirements or whatever the restrictions are on that unit. So for some units, you only have to do this when you move in. And for a lot of affordable housing, you need to do this on an annual basis. And this is every piece of information you can think of. So Nate, if you were applying to affordable housing, I would ask you, um, who do you live with? Who's in your household, right? Is it just you? I saw a dog earlier on your screen uh, in your, in your background. So, <laughs> all right. So, you know, you have a two person household at least. Um, and then I would ask you about your income assets. I might ask you about your student status. I might ask you about medical expenses. It would depend on what affordable housing program was on the property that you are applying to or living in. And to give you some context of how much information this is, it's usually about 80 potential forms for any single household member. So these packages are- Eight yes, or yeah. 80? 80, eight, zero. Forms. Yeah, so I am going to need you to sign an affidavit that says you are not a student. I'm going to need you to sign an affidavit that says you do get child support, or I'm still going to need you to sign something to say you do not get child support, even if you do not have children. I'm going to need you to sign something that says I can reach out to your employer to ask for verification, and then I'm going to contact your employer, and I'm going to fax them three times with set number of days in between. So there's this whole kind of regulated process around how you verify someone's income. And then that package is submitted to whoever the regulatory agency is for a particular building. It's really I feel fun. I'm kind of blown away. I mean, I have a tough time. It's even more fun when you can do it on software. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I won't even set up my utility billing for auto ACH because they've asked me to fill out a form on it, let alone 80. Forms. So, okay. So let, let's talk about the problems caused by this. Yeah. Does this hinder, like immediately I'm guessing, does this hinder people actually then going through the program for affordable housing? Like, does it stop progress? Yeah. Yeah. Walk me through some of the problems here that this all generates. Yeah. So you were saying you, you know, you don't want to pay something online because it involves a form. Now imagine if you were in a homeless shelter or if you were working three jobs or if you are living with your parent who lives in public housing and you're trying to take care of your kid, right? So having the traditional process where you're going in person and you're filling out a bunch of paper forms, it's kind of a non-starter, right? 
or at, at a slightly better level, it's a very challenging process. And so Pronto on the one side makes it much easier for the person applying and living in affordable housing. They can do it on their phone, they can do it online, they can do it at any hour. We have heard, oh, my residents are not tech savvy. I have personally interviewed people who are in homeless shelters on their smartphones. They are, they're tech savvy. They've totally got it figured out. Um, and then on the property owner side, it's a cost center. So um, with Pronto, they can make it a lot more efficient so that there's not so many people who are working on this. Um, basically, there's a workflow element so that people are knowing what tasks are next to complete this certification as quickly as possible. Who does what with all of those forms? So there's not one answer. It varies depending on the specific affordable housing programs. And it also varies based off of the regulatory agency. So let's dive into a specific example. So the low income housing tax credit is a federal program. There are also state LIHTC, but let's stay away from that for now. So at the state or at the federal level, they're allocating these tax credits and then the housing authorities are then doling those out to people who are building affordable housing. Each of those housing authorities is deciding how they're administering that, which means they can decide. Um, there are some housing authorities where they say, okay, we are going to process all people in our city applying to affordable housing, like we being city employees. Then there's others, like for example, in Texas, very laissez-faire there, lovely, love it there. They say, okay, owner, you qualify people and move them into your building and we'll come audit three years later. Then there's some like New York City where Pronto is based and where I live, where the property owner is responsible for qualifying people, but then they take that full package and they submit it to the city for approval. Um, so it really varies, but the point of compliance is to demonstrate that that property is still abiding by its regulatory agreement and therefore continues to get the benefit that whatever it agreed to with affordable housing, that real estate tax abatement, for example. Right. So it could be, like you mentioned, tax abatement could be a, or credit. Maybe there's uh, the rental there's subsidy, the, housing choice vouchers yes. that could be involved. Got it. So, so there's some benefit to maintaining affordable housing that the city or county you're in recognizes as affordable housing. And then, and that's to the owner side. What about to the renter side? Yeah. So How does the, this impact them? What's that experience look like? So one, they don't need to take time off of work and come in person to walk through this process. Two, it's iterative. So um, we say, you know, you should only ask someone about what's relevant to them. Like, I don't need to ask you about um, self-employment if you're not self-employed. You run a podcast, so maybe you are self-employed. But you get what I'm saying. You know, we ask summary questions and then based off of the answers, there are follow-up questions as opposed to asking for giving you a list of a hundred different documents that you might need to provide and saying, give me the ones that are relevant to your household, which is the traditional process. And people are like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> do I have any assets? But if you ask them, hey, do you have a Venmo account and does it have a balance? They're like, yes, I do. And you're like, send me a screenshot of that. You're like, okay, I'm going to list that on your assets. That's an asset. Gotcha. Okay. So 
So, all right, let's let's kind of go back to we've got 80 forms or so. Sounds like there's going to be a little bit of variety based on city that need to be filled out. Pronto housing, though, is getting rid of the paper. There's better user interface. I'm imagining it could be as simple as like sending someone a link or do you have to literally go and sit with them, hand them an iPad and watch them type in. And then I'd like to get into a little bit of like, what does that experience look like from the owner perspective of like verifying and maintaining uh, compliance? Uh, and, and and we'll go from there because I've got a, a few more like trying to wrap my head around this challenge because quite frankly, I feel like you could have picked the tax code as the only last thing more complicated. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's a fair comparison. Um, so it's the first one. You send them a link. Uh, you don't need to be sitting down with someone. I would recommend to property owners that they still offer that option for residents who want it um, to be compliant with fair housing, offering you know many accommodations. But generally speaking, people get an email. They walk through the Pronto platform on the renter side. They submit their documents there. They can also add a helper. So for um, someone who maybe English isn't their first language and they rely on their adult child a lot or someone who has a caseworker, um, they can add that person and that person can walk through the Pronto platform for them. So there's no in-person element that's required. Gotcha. Very cool. With all of the different cities, different forms, I imagine one of the challenges of creating a product like this is that there's a lot of interesting scenarios and edge cases that, you know, in normal software development, you could just say that's an edge case and, and we'll kind of get there. But it sounds like for you guys, like, well, it sounds like it's kind of par for the course of like building for edge cases. How has this really impacted, you know, how you create a product roadmap and, and build out and plan you know, the development and future as to where you're going to take, you know, something like Pronto Housing to actually make compliance, uh, you know, uh, monitoring easier and better experience for everyone. Yeah. So um, our kind of motto around our approach there is standardized, but configurable. So you want a process that is standardized across your portfolio so that when you're looking at, you know, is this property that I own in Illinois compliant? And is this property that's in New York compliant? And are we training people in the same way that it's one process? But it's configurable in that you can have different forms for different places, ask different questions. And then from Pronto's perspective, as we think about scaling, there's also, we have baselines where we say, you know, okay, here's our federally compliant LIHTC baseline. But then we can take that and make slight modifications that are um, product settings as opposed to engineers doing coding to create something <laughs> entirely new yeah. um, and make it so that it's adaptable for the different housing authorities or even for a particular customer. So if a customer has a specific form that they, uh, they want included, even if it's not part of affordable housing compliance, they're like, while we're doing compliance, let's get their pet form. Let's get their car form. Um, they can put that into the Pronto platform. So they can upload the, say, like different forms into the packet, if you will. And that packet then is delivered to each applicant uh, to ensure that they're within the, the rules of the, the facility or, or the, the, the building there. 
Yeah, exactly. Got it. Um, I want I want to maybe this is a little bit of a backtrack and, and we wouldn't quite get why are you why did you choose this problem to go after? I ran asset management for a small developer. I oversaw a lease up that had an affordable component. And like a lot of property owners, we had hired a third party administrator to oversee the affordable component of our building. And I was so frustrated with them. I was like, you are taking forever. And it's not a demand side issue. Thousands of people applied to this property. And every time that you don't follow up with someone, my net operating loss number grows and we have a housing crisis with units sitting vacant. It just, it just doesn't make sense. Um, so that was really the genesis of Pronto. And then once I dug in more, learned there's an annual recertification requirement. So from a business perspective, there really is a viable, uh, you know, very large addressable market that can be had. Got it. Got it. Um, I want to talk through, um, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, obviously there's so much happening here. Um, and yeah, so, you know, you kind of came out of it from like a little bit of a different angle, uh, you know, from, from, you know, having worked on the owner operator side, if you will. Um, but you've also continued to go further into this, uh, you, the Turner Center for Housing Innovation, Housing Lab. Um, tell me a little more about your involvement there. How is that related to what you're doing at Pronto and what's your role there? What's that look like? Yeah, so Pronto is part of the, this is going to be a mouthful, so the Turner Center for Housing Innovation at UC Berkeley's Housing Lab, which is a, yeah, it's a mouthful, <laughs> which is an accelerator for ventures that are focused on housing innovation. So that includes both nonprofits and for-profit for companies, um, companies that are building housing and addressing the affordable housing crisis in that way, uh, companies that are working on construction innovation and thinking about how do you reduce the cost of housing, which is obviously hugely important, and then also companies like Pronto that are thinking about how do you fill units faster? How do you make operational efficiencies so that the access to housing is more equitable and less expensive, less costly for property owners? So um, it's run by Carol Galante, who ran HUD under the Obama administration. And shout out to Bob Simpson, Pronto's coach, who is, uh, he had a long career at Fannie Mae and has been a huge help. So. We're working with them to think about our growth strategy and also um, potential partnerships with GSEs and other kind of complementary partners where we can think about how can we work together to help with access to housing and also longer term thinking about Pronto's product roadmap as it relates to um, those next operational challenges like leasing and lease management and then also what can you do with the data from the pronto platform how can that inform policy and really shape the conversation around what does affordable housing look like in the united states yeah i mean and so it was like i appreciate uh i'm not going to spit off these facts like i just knew them <laughs> uh you, you know you you came with and we, we talked about some numbers prior to recording here you know first the shortage of affordable homes, 7 million. Yeah. 
7 million uh, homes or units, so it could be apartments. But I, I guess, well, you're saying homes here in general, homes or houses, uh, apartments. But how many years does it take to... Oh, this is just so good. No one knows this, and I'm going to call it out. Hang on, Christine. Are you in a? Are you in a? Are you in a WeWork? Yeah, I'm in my office. But oh, good, the lights just went off. Smart, smart buildings uh, at work here. The uh, motion detected light just shut off. <laughs> but what I was saying is, so with seven million, you know, a shortage of seven million affordable homes in the U.S. Even if we started building today just affordable home, uh, uh, affordable units, and there was some level of like conversion of existing units, how long does it take to even meet that need? That is a great question. Honestly, I don't know the answer to that, but New York is delivering, at one point, they were delivering about 100,000 units a year. And this is one of you know, the largest cities in the U.S., that doesn't put a dent in the 7 million units that we need. No. And at the same time, we're losing units, right? There are units that become obsolete. So it's not just that we're at zero and have to build up. We have to maintain also. Wow. And, and then, um, so I, I'm curious, you know, what does, what does Pronto, what might be Pronto uh, doing that could, you know, either help inform or help drive some of the decisions that maybe make the situation a little bit better where we, we have more available affordable units, but also then the compliance isn't such a headache and it's not so tedious and actually, you know, people are willingly to participate a little bit more forthright. Yeah, we look at our role as really focusing on that niche piece of filling the units and reducing the operational bureaucracy and burden of maintaining those units, basically. We do recognize there is a whole other problem of how do you get more units built. And we love people that are working on that problem, but that's not where we fit in. We fit in in once the units are built, we can't have units that are sitting vacant, right? That just doesn't make sense. There's no reason that when a building opens, you shouldn't have anything other than elevator capacity being the limiting factor on filling those units. So Pronto speeds up that process so that you can get people in. Let's shift a little bit. I want to talk through. Um, so what has been working as far as gaining ground? Like, how are you finding customers? And actually, let me back up one bit. Who, who's actually the buyer? Who, who buys what you guys are, are creating? So anyone who owns affordable housing units. So um, there are generally two ways that people manage that. Either they have their property management team oversee compliance, or they have a centralized compliance team that's directly interacting with their renters. And are these portfolios or is this individual mom pops who have you know one or two units themselves? Portfolios. Um, most of our customers have kind of a minimum of 500 units, but usually more like in the tens of thousands of units. Gotcha. And then what about in the case where the county themselves owns the affordable units? Are you guys working directly with, I guess that's the housing authority themselves. So do you work directly with the housing authorities in those instances? We will longer term. Um, I would not 
recommend making that anyone's business base case because selling to the government is a very long sales cycle. So um, we would definitely love to at some point, but until we've raised more money and um, have grown a little bit, we're gonna focus on developers who are able to make decisions a little quicker. Yeah, uh, you know, without giving too much away, I have gone down that path a little bit in the past. Uh, specifically with housing authorities uh, and trying to get part? traction. Yeah, it, well, it was, um, didn't didn't move very far. <laughs> so, this is why you're in the podcast. Abandoned ship. What's that? This is why you're in the podcast business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forget well, my, housing this, authorities. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. This Well, this is the side gig, of course. You know the the, yeah. the it, this was uh, at, previously at my role at Avail, the landlord software um, uh, product company. But you know it it is an interesting um, it's a tough audience to reach for sure and to get their attention. One thing I did I will say though I had good success with was sharing data with housing authorities. Is that they don't have access to a lot of really great data on really what's happening in the area other than their communities and even instill that they don't have great systems as you mentioned it's very paper driven so everything's anecdotal what you can remember or if someone entered it into a spreadsheet to generate some sort of model or uh, chart from that so getting back to what has then been driving the growth for you guys how are you finding your customers and demonstrating what value this offers to them yeah so we are mostly driving growth through warm introductions. So um, Pronto's investors, friends of Pronto, um, Pronto current customers, introducing us to other teams that have this same issue of having compliance be burdensome, paper-driven, and looking for a better way to manage it. Um, longer term, I'm sure we'll have more of a marketing team and um, have more outreach, but right now it's really just driven by warm introductions and also building off the success of our pilots. So we have a handful of customers where we're piloting ranging from large institutional investors all the way to nonprofits that are focused on affordable housing. And we start with a handful of buildings, um, you know, make sure that they are familiar with the Pronto platform, that it's working with their current process. And then now we're rolling out across their portfolio, adding additional buildings, right, and making it their standard of operation. One of the things I've I've learned over the years in talking with many founders is when you're selling to a larger customer, you tend to have uh, there's a user and then there's the actual buyer. Mm, yes. And they are not the same people, and 100%. so then the recognition of pains and problems may not always be the case. Do you face that same challenge? And if so, how are you overcoming that? Yes. So we, the person who's making the decision is usually someone who has some type of operations in their title, right? They might be asset management, COO, head of property management, um, something like that. Sometimes you have someone from the innovation team who brings us in originally, but usually that's the person who can sign a contract. Um, the person who we really need to like using the Pronto platform, the person who's actually using it on a day-to-day -day basis is the property manager or some, sometimes somebody on a compliance team. And those personas are pretty different. 
and we learned the hard way that the top-down approach is terrible, right? If you have some principal who's coming in that's like, I am working with this cool new startup, use them. It doesn't work. That person at the property level is like, get out of my face. <laughs> it's totally fair, right? It's a totally fair reaction. Yeah, no, you're, you're not wrong. And, and um, and so the way that we've overcome that is really on the implementation side, yeah. is making sure that if they are a compliance expert, they know that we value their knowledge and that they are part of shaping what that implementation looks like. What forms do they like? What questions do they want? Um, they know their property. They know their residents. And so we want them on board. Then you have a different type of end user who doesn't know anything about compliance and they um they're just like just tell me what to do tell me what to do so i don't have to think about it and that person is pretty easy to work with unless they have no work motivation whatsoever and then it's just enticing them you're like hey i will not email you on friday if you send 10 emails before then there you go i mean that you just have to figure out what motivates people yeah yeah it's it's an interesting challenge i think that you know, it's probably going to continue to persist as, and this is a trend that I continue to see. I mean, it's especially in real estate, there's so many different silos when you, when you niche into a problem sometimes can be challenging because the person who would benefit most in the day to day from that solution. And eventually then it ladders up to a benefit to the organization as a whole. Isn't the person who's making the decision to purchase that solution. And so how do you demonstrate you know, the actual utility there other than we'll try it out for two years and then we'll see, you know, what it is. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a, that's a long lead time to be able to, to win. What are the, yeah, our pilots, our pilots are not quite that long and lucky for us. Once we're in, we're pretty good. It's that initial conversation of getting that person on board. But, um, once people know a process with Pronto, they see how much easier it is. Are you seeing any differences in adoption between market to market? Like are some cities more or some areas uh, a little bit more ahead where they see the benefit of something like Pronto or is it just kind of scattered all over as you have conversations, you know, generally across the board, people get it. So I would say that it is a bigger problem where you have more affordable housing, which tends to be in population centers. So the largest cities are going to have more affordable housing just because there's more housing and more people, period. And then the main difference between geographies is um, some cities have a centralized place where people apply to affordable housing. So in New York, there's Housing Connect. In San Francisco, there's Dahlia. Um, in Boston, there's a nonprofit working on this problem called Housing Navigator. Basically, some website you go to in that city to say, where can I find affordable housing? But then in a lot of other markets, you find affordable housing the same way you might find a market rate unit, which is that you just Google it or walk by it on the street. Um, and so the way that we interact with those cities is, is slightly different, right? Are they applying through a link on a website and then directly into Pronto? Or are they applying on a city website? And then where Pronto comes in is when you get to the nitty gritty of processing them. Okay, you want to apply. We've reached your log number. Give me all of the information about you and everyone you've ever lived with. Is there, are there a lot of startups that you've come across? And I, meant, I know you mentioned the, 
the Turner Center. Uh, I'm, I've just given up on trying to say the whole thing. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Are there a lot of startups who are focused in on and really working towards specifically the segment of affordable housing innovation? And, you know, what else, what are the, some of the other innovations and solutions that are being brought to this market segment? Yeah. So most, th- there aren't, there are not many companies in the affordable housing space and we love hearing about them. So please send any that you hear of my way. Um, the ones that we do know of are usually working on um, construction tech. So, you know, how can you build modular housing, for example, um, the supply side. So how do you finance projects in a more unique way? Um, so that's something that some startups are looking at is um, like community-based ownership, for example. Um, and then you have companies that apply to the affordable housing space that also apply to market rate units. So Asusu, who also went through the housing lab, they're probably right. the yeah, uh, they're probably the the current celebrity. They might have pulled off the fastest government deals possible. Yeah. I, I would like to walk right in their footsteps. I'm working on it. <laughs> for those listening that don't know, Asusu is, uh, I'm going to try and summarize from what I know of them, which is credit reporting for those who are credit invisible. Finally, giving renters the opportunity to build credit from their largest single bill, which is paying rent. Yep. And that's the all three bureaus I think they report to. I don't know that 100%, but sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, we're going to shift here. And uh, this is probably my favorite segment of the show. Mm. Uh, you know, you can relax a little bit. I've, I'm going to stop hitting with all the detailed questions of the intricate processes here. We're going to get into For the Future. For the Future is a segment when I get to ask each guest who comes to the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Ooh. Christine, are you ready to play? Can I have just a slightly more context? Is it the future of the world or the future of Pronto or Christine? Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Let's do it. All right, question okay, number one. What does Pronto housing look like one year from now? We've raised our Series A. Boom. Succinct, right to the point. Question number two, if nothing changes and you were tasked to give a market overview, what does affordable housing look look like three years from now? Mm. What do I want it to look like? Or oh, you said if nothing changes. If nothing changes. If nothing changes, we are still in a housing crisis. That's, That's so bleak. I mean, sorry, that is the reality. But also, if nothing changes, Pronto exists, everyone can adopt it and fill those units faster. There we go. Okay, so there's some hope here because Pronto already exists. So uh, there we go. Uh, Question number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Ooh. Um, bro culture it's in its extremes. Uh, do you want me, right do you want me to elaborate on this? Yeah, go into it. 
I mean, there are not enough female founders. There's not enough funding for female founders. Um, the amount of pitches that I have given where someone has mansplained my company back to me, I literally, you know, vomit in my mouth. It's irritating. We could do without yeah. it. Yeah. Let's not give, everyone. Uh, we love our investors who we ended up with, you know, who we took as investors. Let's give some <laughs> shout outs at the moment. Female founder yeah. that you've met and been impressed by uh, companies, any of them. Who do you want to shout out? Kat Lau. Kat Lau, a fellow Wilshire Lane company. She's awesome. Yep. I'll go, you, I'll go with one. You... Uh, recently on the show, Fatima Deco from Sugar. If you don't know Fatima, awesome. well, she's great. I don't know her. Connect me. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll do that. Sugar, yeah. um, and, and I'm going to plug it because you got to go back a few episodes now in the Technest podcast if you're listening to this. Sugar started with the idea of making renting better. They start with the resident experience. So the idea of like borrowing a cup of sugar from your neighbor. Um, but I really like, I think, I think they have one of the coolest access controls of resident apps that I've seen. It does not require any retrofitting to the buildings, just a smartphone which is as big mm. ubiquitous as just about anything. Wait, right is now. it and one, the resident gets one app? Yeah, and you know, the fact the resident has the app, but the visitor does not need the app to engage with it. And it still maintains the security uh, based on preferences set by both the building and the resident. So it's pretty cool. I think it's great. Um, but there's our, yeah. there's our good shout out here mid for the future. And to round up for the future, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Paper. Hopefully paper. We'll fade away if that wasn't clear. Let's just um, let's just acknowledge the bookshelf behind me of paper books. <laughs> Sorry, Nate. That's all right. All right, we're gonna jump into the last three I here, said Christine. from the real estate industry. Those might be That's your true. personal novel. You said novel. real estate industry, only like 10% of those books are real estate. <laughs> We're going to get into the last three here. This is so listeners get to know you just a little bit better. First one is, and this is very appropriate at the moment. What are you reading? Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I don't read that much these days because mostly I work. What's the last thing that I read? I read Evicted, which is a very powerful book. Oh, and I would recommend that, that to everyone. Um, Anyone in the affordable housing space, I feel like this is one of the books that, that people recommend. Um, there it is. Yeah. Second one here, who are you learning from? Casey, my co-founder, Casey Crosby. We are, you know, we are each other's yin and yang and push and pull, me mostly being the push. Um, and one of the things that she is amazing at is managing people and growing a team and being more patient than I am. Although I would say neither one of us are patient really at all, just her slightly more than me. Um, and so in growing Pronto together, I, I learn from her every day. That's very cool. And the final one here, what inspires you? Knowing that you can change the world. I always thought I would be a real estate investor. 
I was on the lending side. Then I was in development asset management and, um, and then ran asset management for a small developer. And I just always thought that that would be my path. And, and that does change the world in its own way. Um, but when I thought of the idea for Pronto and wanted to pursue this, it's, it's not like somebody hired me as CEO or, you know, promoted me. I just went and started to create it out of nothing. You just made and it. And that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Like, it's kind of crazy. To, yeah, like, two years ago, we didn't, Pronto didn't exist, our product didn't exist, our customers existed, but, yeah. you know, they weren't, they weren't Pronto customers. <laughs> They're in a better place. There's, um, there's a trending uh, soundbite <laughs> on Instagram Reels. <clears throat> and I'm not going to get into Instagram Reels too much here, but I've been experimenting on how to crack the code, if you will. But the soundbite is one of my favorites because it's oh. – and, and this guy actually has a channel. And I, if I remember what it was, I'd tell you, but it's pretty hilarious. But he just, just kind of wanders up to the camera, and he's an older fella, and he just goes, hey, you, you know that you can just go do stuff, right? And it seems so obvious. You can <laughs> just go do things. Um, but I think I, I actually really appreciate that answer for the simplicity, but also how true it is. Christine, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you going into this. I, I learned a lot more about affordable housing that I wasn't aware of. Also, um, it sounds like there's quite a bit of opportunity yet left to be tapped and a lot of uh, innovation and efficiency to be brought to the market yet. Before we officially close out the interview, for those who want to get in touch with you or learn more about Pronto Housing, where do they go and how do they do that? www.prontohousing.com. And you can feel free to reach out to me directly. I'm Christine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, at prontohousing.com. There it is. Appreciate it so much. We'll see you later. Thank you so much, Nate. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right in your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great worthy listen. We'll see you next week.